And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Again, as last week, it is my goal to finish the uh, letter to Ephesus. And so um, you don't really get an intro this week because that was the entire sermon last week was just the intro. So we're just going to pick up where we left off and we're going to talk about being able to stand in Christ. So as you, you remember, verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's as far as we got last week. Be strong in the Lord. And so to be strong in the Lord, what do we need to do? Well, let's continue reading verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the blood, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. First thing, be strong in Christ by putting on the whole armor of God. If we're going to be strong in Christ, then we need to actively take the initiative to put on the whole armor of God. He says, put on so that you can stand against. Stand here is a key word. It comes up repeatedly in the section, verse 11, 13, and 14. It really means to resist. And so the Greek word here, to stand, literally means it's a military uh, hold. You're going to hold your ground. And so when we walk in Christ, then there's a, there's a point where we must not retreat. We must hold our ground because he's given us the ability to do so. So stand in the Lord. Be in the strength of the Lord. Well, how do you how do you hold your ground? I like how Wayne Barber puts it. My obedience, my surrender, my submission is my greatest weapon in defeating the one who is the prince of darkness that lives all around me. My weapon is, is my submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that seems simple, doesn't it? Submission. That if I'm going to stand and I'm going to withstand the attacks of the enemy, then I have got to submit myself to a greater authority, Jesus Christ. I can't submit myself to the authorities that are, that are the powers working against him. I have to submit myself and hold my ground in that I will submit to Christ and him alone. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What's interesting about this word put on, I want, I want to point this out. It's in the aorist imperative, which is a command with a sense of urgency. So it, it's like do not delay on this. Christ has given you everything that you need to withstand, so put on the armor of God. Don't delay. It's also in the middle voice, which conveys the idea that it's your choice to do it. Meaning today, church, right now, 
You make the choice to put on God's armor. No one's going to put it on for you. God's not going to force you to put it on. His command and his good will and acceptable perfect will is for you to put it on. But still, it comes down to a choice that you must make. It has to do with surrendering your will to his will. Saying no to self and saying yes to God. Today, we've been given the opportunity to clothe ourselves in Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you've been given the opportunity to put on the full armor of God. It's not your armor. It's not your goodness. It's not your ability. It's not your religious adherence. There's nothing in you that you can put on to withstand the war that's coming. And so he says, put on Christ. Put on the whole armor of God. And now it's up to you whether or not you want to put it on. Will you put it on? Because the enemy will attack, and really the area of your life that you leave unguarded or not surrendered is sure to be the very place that Satan attacks. I I can ask you right now, where are you most susceptible to the enemy's attack? Do you know? Did it just pop in your mind? I I know that's my weak area. I, I know that if if left up to me, and if I'm not on, if I'm not, on, if I'm not really paying attention, he, he's going to try to get me in this, this area. It, what is your, what's your Achilles heel? You know Achilles, right? He was dipped in the river Styx and, and by his immortal mom. Yeah, this is, I probably shouldn't be teaching this from the pulpit. But, you know, Achilles, he, he dipped in the water and everything was covered. Everything was immortal except for the heel. And then sure enough, he goes in the battle and a poisonous arrow hits his heel and he dies, right? Listen, if... if You leave an area unsurrendered to Jesus Christ. Guess what's going to happen? The flaming arrows from the enemy are going to find its place in your life. And there's many of us in this room who would say, I have that testimony. I was was hitting it on all fronts. I was doing really good in my Christian walk, but I knew that there was an area that I left unguarded. And sure enough, that's the area that he hit me with says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Stand against. Really means dig in. Dig in. Uh, the Roman soldiers, they would have had these really good sandals that had spikes on them, and they would have, they would have held their ground with those spikes. And so... This is the idea. Stand against because the scheme's coming. The attack is coming. The crafty method of attack will sure to come, will be sure to come. So, what's the scheme? Well, I'm going to tell you the scheme, and you're going to be like, that's pretty simple. But it comes wrapped in all kinds of packages. It, It really is custom fit for you. And it is delivered to you in such a pretty package every single time that it is, it is so deceptive. Are you ready for the scheme? This is all he wants to do, to get you to think about yourself more than Christ. If he can get you to think about yourself more than Christ, then he can get you to stop surrendering to Christ. Because you'll start surrendering to your emotions, your wants, your wills. And before too long, you can claim to be a follower of Jesus, but really be following your own appetites. This is his scheme. If I can get you to think about yourself, then I can get you to stop thinking about submission to Christ. He's crafty. He's so crafty that he will actually use your successes against you. 
not just your failures. In fact, it's like that pendulum that I had in my, in my intro last week. The pendulum swing, right? You have the pendulum. It's the, the plumb line of abiding humility. But quickly, we can swing towards reckless pride or religious pride. And, and he would like nothing more than for you to swing towards religious pride. Because if he can get you to swing towards religious pride, then you can build your pride up, build your self-esteem up, and be like, look, I am nailing it. I'm doing so good in all accounts. So he can make you fall even harder. It really is the area of our life that we leave unguarded that gets us into the most trouble. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We. We. It means that you're not alone in the battle. This is not just a one-man fight. It means that we are a part of a body. We're a body of believers. We are the church. And we are all in the fight together. This means that it's a personal battle that has corporate implications. Do you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to take down the church. And if he can take down individuals in the church, then he can take down the church. And so, yeah, it's, it's fault in your own mind. It's not a, it's not a war against flesh and blood, but, it, but against powers and principalities. So you can't fight it with flesh. You can't fight it with your rule following. You can't fight it with your means. You have to be able to put on the whole armor of God because you cannot withstand this without Christ himself. David Jeremiah said this, if you could sneak into Satan's office, wherever it might be, he's not in hell yet, and take a peek into his files, you might be surprised to find a file folder with your name on it. He says he's not exaggerating. He keeps a file on you, and inside that file are all the strategies he's used for you, the ones that have worked and the ones that have failed. He doesn't waste his time with the ones that don't work anymore. Instead, he uses variations of the strategies that have caused you to stumble in the past. As long as they keep working, he keeps using them. Let me ask you, what has worked in the past to cause you to think about yourself more than Christ? He gets us to elevate our self-worth so that we will devalue Jesus Christ in our minds. And it comes in all types of shapes and sizes, both positives and negatives. He's crafty. He tempts us, he puts doubt in our minds, he deceives us, he distracts us, he confuses us, he causes us to think of compromising the truth. He heaps guilt upon us, he throws shame at us, he afflicts us with suffering, he lies to us. He's been a murderer from the beginning, he robs us of our joy as we try to seek happiness in this world And he steals, he kills, and he destroys, and he is relentless. Listen, the attack is coming. He's going to use the systems of religion, politics, pop culture, mainstream media, public broadcasting, and even your personal relationships to frequently and subtly throw arrows at you to get you to compromise and to think about self over Christ. If you're honest right now, many of us, we know that we're under the attack. Even as I say this, some of you might be wrestling with guilt, feeling the attack of the enemy. He's crafty because he attacks us both from inside and outside of the church. So put on the whole armor of God. Two, be strong in Christ by taking up the whole armor of God. Not only do you put it on, but you're going to head into battle. So take it with you. Don't just... 
Don't just play dress up, right, on Sunday morning. You're going to go into battle, so take up the whole armor of God. So verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul gives us six pieces. He lists six pieces of spiritual armor that we needed to take up as we head into battle. The battle that is fought against spiritual forces, as we've already read, our own sinful urges, he uses those against us and against the world's system of seduction to get us to get our minds off of Christ. Paul, as you remember, as he's writing this, he is imprisoned. He probably has seen many Roman soldiers come by fully dressed in all of this, um, this armor, ready for battle. He's taken each and every piece that he's noticed there, and he said, listen, this, this is our battle, and so we must take up this armor as we head into battle because the battle is coming. As Ligon Duncan says, the way the world most often affects us is by alluring us, not so much by a frontal assault or a persecution. It is by alluring us to adopt its own standards, its own way of thinking, its own way of living. We begin to look at sin as if it's normal and to look at righteousness as if it's abnormal. To begin to feel apologetic for holding to the things that you have held to because the scripture teaches them, because you've learned them from Christ. That's the way the world works. It allures us. It infects our thinking. It woos us over to its side, and it calls us to abandon our Christian commitment. Listen, the, the church is under attack. And the attack, especially in, in our culture, is not so much persecution and assault. It is to cause us to begin to think sin is normal. I mean, you look at all the ways that the enemy uses everything that we are exposed to throughout the, throughout the week to, to cause us to think, you know, that's just the way the world is. He's trying to get us to feel apologetic that we hold to moral standards. You know, you get in conversations with loved ones, people that you genuinely care for, and you, you almost feel like you've got to tiptoe around your convictions because they're offensive. Am I right? So crafty. In our war on sin, the enemy's scheme is to lure us into comfort with sin. Then we inevitably begin to take off our weaponry and our armor. Thus, we ease up our defenses until we are no longer fighting at all. There are so many believers in Jesus Christ who are not engaging in the fight. They're not standing firm. They've become so accustomed to sin as normal that they begin to take off their weaponry and their armor, and they're not even fighting anymore. Church, many of you Baptists, this is a call to war. This is a call to stand. This is a call to put on Christ. 
And when you put on Christ, you will be attacked. So believer, arm yourself with Christ. He's the one that will fight for you. Isaiah 11.5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Isaiah 49.2, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. Exodus 15.3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Psalm 18.39, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. Jesus Christ is our only hope in life and in death. We put on Christ. We don't put on our own holiness. We don't put on our own goodness because our goodness cannot withstand the attacks of the enemy. Only Christ has defeated the enemy. So we put on Christ. As Paul would say in Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Church, it's a call to put on Christ. Not just believe in Christ, but put him on. Put him as Lord of every area of your life. The whole armor, every area is going to be covered because it's surrendered to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you again, do you know the area that you're most susceptible to? And is it the area that you have not submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Arm yourself with Christ, with his truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and word. Christ is truth. Christ is our only righteousness. Christ is our peace. We have our faith fixed on Christ. He is our salvation, and he is the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. So let's work through these rather quickly. The belt of truth. The belt was a part of the garment that held everything together for the soldier. Everything was held together by this belt. So Paul would say, truth holds all this together. Truth does, not, does it mean a, a sense of truth and doctrine, or does it mean integrity or faithfulness? This is debated by different theologians. Well, certainly correct doctrine is essential for a foundation for a believer. If you don't know what you believe, then you will be susceptible to being attacked from all, from all areas. Paul Tripp says this, Doctrine is essential because the doctrines found in the Word of God are not just designed to increase information, but rather produce radical, organic transformation. This would be my question to you. Has the Word of God been information to you, or has it been transformation for you? Have you sat under the teaching of Sunday school or been raised in church or under the, the proclamation of God's word from a pulpit for so long that you're like, yeah, I know that, I've learned that, and it's information, or has it led to a transformation in your life? Are you a new crea creation in Christ because he has changed your heart and he has placed in you the truth of his word? He has written his word on your heart, and if he's written his word on your heart, then there will be integrity in your life. Jesus is truth. He is the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. We live in a world that says, that's my truth. What is that? You don't get to pick your truth. Truth is truth. Jesus Christ is truth. And apart from him, there is no truth. There's just lies and deception. And that's the enemy's game. 
James would say in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded person is unstable. A person who says they believe one thing, but then their lives act like something completely different will not be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. There must be an inward change towards truth. Jesus Christ, has he written his word on your heart? The breastplate of righteousness. Well, the breastplate, it was protecting all the major organs of the soldier. It was, it was pivotal, or there could be a fatal wound. Well, we know that the righteousness of Christ covers us. It's an imputed righteousness, not a righteousness of our own. So we cannot take a fatal wound in this war. Christ has deposited his righteousness into every, every believer, replacing their unrighteousness, which was basically filthy rags. And so this imputed righteousness allows us to live out an imparted righteousness that is not of our own. If you've been imputed righteousness, there should, be a, there should be a change in the way that you live. That righteousness that is not your own should then be seen being imparted into the different areas of your life. How are you righteous before God? Only by faith in Jesus Christ. That is it. Even though our conscience, this would be uh, quoting a catechism, even though our conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and still being inclined towards all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner. That's what covers us vitally. It's the truth that we have been imputed a righteousness. And it is as if I've been perfectly obedient as Christ was perfectly obedient in my place. This is why Paul would say in Romans 7, 18 through 25, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Your only protection is the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to you out of sheer grace. That helps you stand when the enemy comes at you. What a gracious gift. It's not our good works. Our good works cannot protect us from attacks. It is only his righteousness that can protect us. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3, And be found in him having, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is a righteousness that has been imputed to us. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Three, shoes for your feet. The gospel of peace. Jesus is our peace. I've already uh, described the shoes to you. They had spikes. They were able to withstand. They were able to uh, stand up against the attacks. Well, the shoes are also made to advance. Make advancements. What is the effect of the gospel? It is the realization that we have peace with God and we are accepted by God only through Jesus Christ. He is the gospel message. Jesus Christ in my place. It is what Tim Keller said. The gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet we are at the very same time more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That is the message. That is the good news. That is, that is what you fasten around your feet and you charge into battle with. I am more loved in Jesus Christ than I ever dared hope. And that is good news for those who are lost and dying. Jesus is our peace. Why do we go and proclaim Romans 10, 15? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. The shield of faith. Many of you have probably heard this. This is a large shield. It's a big shield that was able to be wrapped with some kind of leather that would have been soaked that would extinguish the flaming uh, arrows that were shot. They could use it as, uh, as they huddled together as a, as a brocade so the arrows couldn't get in. This was their faith. It was, it was what held them together. What holds you together when things get hard? It's your faith. Jesus is the object of faith. Your faith is only as strong as the object that it's in. Jesus is the author and the protector of your faith. There's an interesting story uh, from the early church uh, about Polycarp. Polycarp was an 86-year-old man when he was martyred. Um, upon his arrest, he asked for food to be brought in, and he fed the soldiers that were about to arrest him. And as they ate, he prayed for two hours before he was arrested. Polycarp was chained, and they were taunting him before they burned him alive. And they said, where's your hope now? Don't you want to call out for mercy to Caesar and the gods rather than die this horrible death? Polycarp's response, you ready? 84 years have I served Christ, and he has never done me wrong. Am I to begin not trusting him now? What faith? Put on Christ. He is the object and the author of our faith. The helmet of salvation. The helmet would have been, as you imagine, used to protect from any fatal wound to the head. We need to cover and protect our minds with the assurance of our salvation that is not based on what we do, but it's based on what Christ has done. As Stephen Cole says, your head determines how you think about all of life. How you think, in large part, determines how you feel and how you act. So we need to protect our minds from taking the blows from the enemy. It, it's, it's like in football terms. you got to wear your helmet so you don't get concussion protocol, right? You don't want to be dazed and confused, wandering around, not being able to be in the game. So... If you're taking a headshot and you're beginning to think the way that the world thinks, then you're going to be, you're going to be 
wishy-washy again in your walk. The assurance of our salvation then is that it's not based on our achievements or our failures. It's based on the work of Jesus Christ and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's the only offensive weapon that is mentioned here. And it is the very same weapon that the enemy would like to use against you. I mean, look at the pattern. Adam and Eve, did God really say? When he comes to tempt Jesus, he throws out scripture. But Jesus, knowing scripture, is able to, able to use it as an offense. He says, man should not live by bread alone. Him only shall you serve. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Our only weapon is Jesus Christ and his finished work on our behalf. He is the word made flesh. And as we are given this word, we're to use it because it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It is to convict us when we are wandering off the path, when we are not following and surrendering as we should. As we submit ourselves to the word of God, Christ will fight for us. So thirdly, be strong in Christ by keeping alert with all prayer and supplication. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Real quick, as we close, one of the things I noticed in our trip to England, the mission trip, was that the church that we were working with, Freedom Church, they prayed often. They prayed at, at all times. It, it, was, it was almost as if I was watching them like, well, we should pray. Well, we should pray. Well, we should pray. And I was like, we're praying again? And I, I felt bad as the pastor saying that, you know? And I was like, but then I was convicted by the fact that I don't pray like that. They are in a battle, and they know they're in a battle because they're seeing that Christianity is on the decline in the UK. And so they are praying for every single moment because they know that the battle is his. And sometimes we get so lulled to sleep in our culture that we think we just do all these things and we're good, but we should be people of prayer. Ian Bounds said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. Step one. God gives us an armor. He gives us himself. Step two, he desires that we would put on Christ for the battle. He is our only hope. Christ in us is our only hope. Step three, he moves upon those who pray for strength. That we would be dependent upon Christ. If you trust in yourself, you've already failed because the enemy's scheme was to get you to focus on yourself rather than Christ the whole time. 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. We should be a people of prayer. Because an unwatchful church will soon become an unholy church. Watch out, church. The enemy is out there. He's actually fighting us from not only outside but inside the church. Paul, as he prays here and he ends this, he, he doesn't pray for comfort. You notice that? He prays for the Great Commission, that he would be equipped to boldly proclaim what he should proclaim. Often we, we pray way too much for our own comfort, don't we? Why don't we start praying for the combat that we're about to engage in? So today, I'm going to pray for us. And if you have somebody near you that you know, let me encourage you to pray for them that they would stand against the enemy's schemes this week. And then let them pray for you. Because we do not war against flesh and blood. We. So we should be there for one another.